It's Great Mondays Radio. I'm Josh Levine, your host, founder of Great Mondays. We help executives from hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations build cultures that attract, engage, and retain top talent. If you'd like to be a guest on our program, hang out for about 20 minutes and I'll tell you how. Welcome back to Great Mondays Radio. I am so excited to have on today Director of Employee Insights at Expedia, Tara Belliard. Tara is an industrial organizational psychologist who focuses on people analytics, has worked at companies like Amazon, DoorDash, and Qualtrics, and has so much to teach us. I'm super excited to have you on Great Mondays Radio. Thank you so much for coming on today. Hi, Josh. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm no data geek, although I do appreciate data. I'm more the qualitative kind of guy. Um, how how did you get, like, where did you, in your career, did you end up, like, kind of diving into the data analytics piece of this? Because you said you started as an organizational psychologist. It's not that too far off, but where, you know, where, just kind of give us the Give us the context here. How did you get into what you're doing now, your specialty? Sure. I actually, even before organizational psychology, I was in human factors. So um, I started my career life thinking I was going to be an academic and I was going to do research and, you know, publish and all those fun things. And I think what I quickly found out was, while I love the research and the data and the analytics, um, kind of writing those reports and sending them off into the world and then moving on and never really seeing the fruits of my labor or, you know, how they impact anything. Uh, I was, it was missing a little bit of something for me. Mm -hmm. So um, I kind of moved over into the organizational side. And one of my first opportunities within an organization was JetBlue Airways. And, um, you know, I was really fortunate. JetBlue has a reputation for an amazing culture. It's something that the company was built on. And so they had, you know, for that time and space, it was rather unusual. They had a really built out, important people analytics function. And that's where I found myself. And that's where I really found my passion for the data and analytics. Um, you know, one of the first groups that I supported there was their airport operations. And it was such a unique opportunity because they faced off with the customers so directly. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of data on how their experience in the workplace impacts customer satisfaction and revenue opportunities, right? Rebooking at JetBlue. Um, so it really kind of ignited that passion for, wow, I can tangibly see, you know, the impact that a great workplace experience has on all of these other things that we need to be a successful business. Yeah, that's amazing. And and usually I have to make the argument, um, I have to make the link for people or for organizations like, hey, it's really important to invest in this in culture and your customers are going to feel it. And they're like, the customers, they're like way over there. So to be able to have that kind of initial like, aha, and to have that direct touch is really compelling and really powerful. Um, yeah. Okay, so teach me about teach teach me about people analytics. Teach me about this. What are the things that what are the top couple things that are that you can that one can learn from uh, people analytics? What is what is it that we're looking for? Like, what are the big ahas? What what surfaces for you uh, when you're when you're thinking like if you could design your own program? What are the you know the top three things that you might look for that's really going to 
punch, uh, punch above its weight. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's so much that you can do with people analytics and just even over my, you know, almost 20 year career. Or so seeing the proliferation of data that we have, the ability to connect all of these different data points, it's really growing and changing. I think the, you know, the primary most basic reason to look into people analytics and what you can do with it is just understanding how to run your business better. You know, we know, of course, as IO psychologists and folks in this field, the importance of employee engagement or the workplace experience and the impact that has on sustainability, scalability, profitability for organizations. And I think, you know, when I started, right, I many years ago, you would have to start every presentation with the executive group of here's what employee engagement is, and this is why you should care about it. Mm -hmm. I think we've moved beyond that, Oof, you know, and I think there goodness. is, I know, right? <laughs> I got really sick of that spiel in the beginning of every presentation. Um, and yeah. so it's nice to see that there is kind of an innate understanding that that's a part of business now. And so I think the role that data analytics plays in organizations at this point is really, you know, people sort of understand it as a concept, but to see it on paper, to see the direct impact that specific workplace processes, procedures, policies, whatever have on the external factors that you're trying to influence is mm. what really kind of gives folks that aha moment. You know, I talked about linking the airport employee experience to customer experience, right? It was, I'll never forget when I went into that first meeting, I was young and idealistic and I thought everybody just cares about their employees and it's, you know, <laughs> and the head of airport said to me, I don't care about employee engagement. I just need butts and seats. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I was completely flabbergasted and didn't know what to say to him. Um, and I think that's where I really realized, you know, I have to speak in their language, not mine. I have to show them how to run their business better through the practices that I know are going to make a great workplace culture. Um, and so that's what I really see as a data analytics function is figuring out, you know, how do I make my leadership's jobs easier? How does the, you know, I make the business run smoother through the people who work here and not in counterproductive <laughs> or, you know, um, maybe underhanded ways, but in ways that are going to lift our people up and it's kind of, you know, rising water floats the ship, whatever that, mm -hmm. that saying <laughs> rising is. Tide floats rising tides. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, do you have an example or a story that you might be able to share about that kind of like how to support, make the business, you know, make, make the business run better, help leaders, help folks, um, employees do their jobs better. Did, did you have, you know, have you identified ways, you know, like had that moment where you're like, oh, this needs to change perhaps. Absolutely. I, had a really interesting experience. Um, I was working in a financial services company after the bailout several years, you know, many years ago. Um, so it was a really interesting time to be there. They yep. were really rethinking a lot of their processes, but, you know, some of the big ones were related to how they handled their people processes, you know, HR, et cetera. Um, and so I was brought in to help them think through that to, you know, find the places where we could change, enhance, whatever, to create a better company culture in this really difficult time. Um, and 
you know, so of course we did the employee survey and we started listening to employees. And one of the big things that came out through that was around the performance management process. Mm. And um, it was, I, I will never forget, I saw it related to the Hunger Games <laughs> very frequently. Like stack ranking employees. or something like that? Yes, it was, there were calibration sessions and forced ranking. Um, it was a it was a really inflexible process, let me say. And it was, you know, that particular phrase came up over and over and it was really- The Hunger Games phrase? Yes. That's what everybody was (laughs) feeling like. Yes. Um, And so it became really apparent this was a huge pain point for folks. Um, And so, you know, when we reported out on the results, this was something that we knew we needed to really press on with the executive group. And this was my my first meeting with the CEO and all of his direct reports. And it was exactly what you would expect in financial services with, you know, the big mahogany intimidating table and everybody Three sitting around suits. staring at you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And I went in there knowing um, this performance management process was actually the CEO's baby. He had brought this in from another organization that he was at. And so oh I God. knew this was going to be a difficult conversation. Did you wear double um, deodorant that day? Yes. Yes. I needed, you know, I brought my doctor's tissues <laughs> <laughs> for when I left the room crying. <laughs> yep. And I went in and I, um, you know, I knew it was going to be a difficult conversation. And this was, of course, back in the day when you still had to go in there with a spiral bound, you know, mm-hmm. report that mm-hmm. you handed to everybody. And so mm-hmm. he kind of he sat down, he didn't say anything. And he looked through the report and just threw it across the table back at us and said, what is this? And I remember sitting there like, oh my gosh, this is the day I get fired. Exactly. <laughs> you know, this is my last day at this company. And it was sort of, you know, it was the reaction we expected, maybe not so dramatic, but we knew he was going to have feelings about what we were telling him. And, you know, in that moment, the data is I just went straight to the data, you know, take all emotion out of the conversation. This is not, um, you were right or you were wrong. You know, it's what is the data telling us? And I knew that, you know, one of the things he would probably question is, oh, well, it's just the poor performers, right? Every poor performer hates the performance management process. And so we went in prepared with data in our back pocket that it was actually the highest performers who were the most, who had the biggest issues with the performance management process and who were feeling the most pain. And so just going in there and really kind of recentering the conversation around, you know, yep, this is, you know, good intentions, right? We had, a, this was a great start. This was a, you know, a change in the right direction, but here's what we're seeing um, and highlighting those Hunger Games comments and highlighting, you know, we're, we're disengaging and demotivating our top performers and we cannot afford to lose them, you know? And so we need to listen to them and make changes. And ultimately through the conversation by just kind of reframing it around the data, you know, saying, Hey, this isn't my opinion. I'm just, I'm relaying to you what employees have told me. Uh, We were able to get to a really good place at the end of it. We did ultimately end up getting his blessing for additional research to really dive deep into the performance management process, places where we could improve it. Um, and we did make a lot of changes over the coming years to that process. I, okay. That's inspiring. I hope to be, I hope to be able to handle a situation like that someday. Um, the, so 
Can I intuit from your comments that the quality, I, I caveated at the beginning about my you know, predisposition to qualitative, <laughs> that you're bringing quotes in as part of the data. You're saying these are high performers, you know, whatever, this is how I'm ranking the performance. Um, and you're saying that they are, they have a negative perception. And here, let me show you, you know, quotes about Hunger Games and how that's bad. Is that, I mean, and, and maybe I'm just asking for my own solace, but like, I, <laughs> Because that's what I would do, right? But you're like, no, I'm the data queen, you know, like I'm doing right. it, right? Is that okay <laughs> to do? I mean, is that how you is that how you went in there with with quotes and yes, 100 percent I think you know, you need to have the data, you need to have the numbers, right? You can't just say, Well, I heard some people say this. You know, we all we know interviewed those X number of people, this proportion is high. Okay, keep going. And you know, I think what the what the comments are able to do what the qualitative data does you know in my experience the way i see it being extremely useful and i do think it's extremely useful is oftentimes with an employee survey or you know leaders are looking for the silver bullet they just want the answer so what do yep. i do yep. and data alone isn't necessarily going to give you that unless you ask this onerous you know survey that takes half of my day right and every question possible in every permutation. And that's just not a good user experience. Um, and it's gonna be a pain <laughs> for analyzing it. Nobody's ever gonna wanna take it again. So the quality of data is where that comes in is, yeah. you know, this is the this is what we're seeing. And then, you know, the next questions would be, so what do I do about it? And that's where the qualitative data comes in. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, that's, uh, that's amazing. So literally today, I was on the call with a potential client and she said, well, we have this really big quantitative, you know, engagement kind of survey and people don't love it. And I'm like, we can get you the same, you know, it's like, you can get a lot more information from just talking to folks. And I, you know, sometimes I pretend to be more confident than I am, but it, it, it helps to hear you, you like validate my own experience. Right. But there are so many of these companies and surveys and, you know, they're all out there. And now there's, you know, it's like I hear from people that are starting these, you know, SaaS platforms that are engagement, you know, questions and question of the week or whatever it is. Um, and of course, my first response is garbage in, garbage out, right? So, okay, we know that, right? But where, when and how is it the right, when is it the right moment or what questions that you're looking to answer when you want to do um, some kind of qualitative survey? And my follow-on question is to your, your point about like extensive, take me half a day, once a year, all, you know, that's one end to, you know, like I get a text message once a week, you know, one to five, how would you? So help me understand because there's got to be I mean these companies someone's got to be hiring these companies I mean I feel like there's some validity here you know when is that the right time the right thing to do yeah I think that's a great question you know there's now that there's is machine language pro, you know processing right and programs out there that can automatically determine sentiment and categorize things, it's a lot easier now to ask those quantitative questions. And so <clears throat> in the past, I would have 
kept them very minimal because I knew at the end of the day, I was hand coding those, you know, mm -hmm. and so you had to keep it to what your resources were. I think now um, there's a lot more of an argument to use them more frequently, but I would say in my experience, what I've seen the best use of either interviews, right, conversations or focus groups or even qualitative questions. Um, the qualitative questions on the survey, you know, when I'm building out with say an employee survey, when I think about what do I want to ask qualitatively about, I'm looking at what were the big ticket items say on our last survey, um, something that we know we want to dive deeper into, or we've been taking action on, and we want to know if we're headed in the right direction. Um, so I would use comments for something like that, or a place where you know, maybe it's something that anecdotally folks have been hearing and it's sort of, you know, you need to get a sense for, is this in fact something that's going on and maybe how do we get underneath it? And you're not quite sure how to ask that in a quantitative question mm. or maybe a quantitative question wouldn't be sufficient. I think that's where I would go with a, a comment or an open end on a survey versus, you know, another example I would say is, I had an organization where we were um, seeing a lot of burnout and some belonging and inclusion issues. Now that is something we absolutely needed to get under, right? We needed to understand what was happening, why it was happening and how we address it. But that is absolutely not something I would ever ask about <laughs> in a survey, you know, in an open end right. um, for myriad reasons. Why are you feeling? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, obviously that opens you up to legal issues and it's, and it's still sort of impersonal. So yeah. when it's those, those more personal types of experiences, um, that's when I feel like interviews can be really helpful. That's when you actually yeah. just need to start having the conversation and collecting the qualitative data in that way. When is that, when is it appropriate to do the quantity? Like what is, what is quantitative good, good at? Right. What what questions does that answer? And again, I'm asking for my own edification, right? Like I've gotten all of my answers qualitatively, but there's, you know, what is it? What is quantitative? What are some of these surveys great at? Yeah, I would say quantitative data is really excellent at trends. Um, so, you know, you should be looking at some sort of overall climate measure for employees, whether that's engagement, some organizations use employee net promoter score, mm -hmm. whatever it is that works in your organization. Um, you know, that can give you some early warning signals where you may be going to have some attrition risk, or maybe something is happening that you need to dive deeper into. So quant data is really helpful in those instances. Um, it's also really helpful in determining where should we dive deeper, um, you know, so there's any, any number of experiences that folks can be having, right, mm -hmm. on any given day, and it changes, you know, especially given, you know, I've worked in a lot of tech companies, right, and things change day to day there. The quant data is really good at that, at keeping up with that, so you can sort of quickly see things rising or falling in importance. Mm -hmm. You know, you can run things like regressions to understand what's driving engagement or maybe intent to stay, right? When people say, no, I'm going to leave in six months, you know, what might be behind that so that you can really quickly go to that area and start addressing it in whatever way makes sense. Um, I would also say quant data can be really helpful in operation settings, 
places where safety, security are really important. You know, Mm. an example of this is I had a client that I worked with while I was at Qualtrics and we were looking at, you know, they were really excited about daily surveys or, you know, they wanted really fast, you know, kind kind of a constant stream of data, which a lot of organizations do want. But the downfall with that is if you can't action with the frequency that you're asking, don't ask. (laughs) And so, you know, in an operation setting, it can be really helpful to ask things like, are the bathrooms clean? Do you feel safe when you walk to your car at night? Um, You know, really tactical things that if I'm getting that data on a monthly basis, basis, I can actually take action Mm. on a monthly basis. So quant data can be really helpful for that as well. Interesting. Okay. So I like, I I think that's extremely um, uh, insightful. So about the things that you can take action on and you can ask those more frequently, but what occurs to me and what occurs to me as you were talking about bigger trends, right? So quantitative data are very specific questions, but um, what you're surfacing are more general trends about the way things are working. So you want to ask quant questions when you want to sort of gauge up or down engagement. You want to figure out, you know, over time, because it's really hard to just have someone always doing interviews, right? So that's not a good moment for that. Um, And then when you see something kind of start to go down or up or whatever it is, then you can kind of dive into that. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, to think about it in that in that capacity. How frequently, so when you're doing whatever your measure of engagement is, um, how frequently are you sending these out? Are you doing like round robins? Are you doing, you know, one at a time, the pulse checks? What's your recommendation? Yeah, that's a great question. And this is something I think that's been hotly debated if I can be really nerdy right now. Yes, yes, nerd <laughs> out, we love it. <laughs> um. I would say in my experience, and it's, it is dependent on the organization, the type of business, you know, what you're doing, where your people are at, where your program is at, where you are at in terms of employee listening. If I'm talking about, let's say, a well-established employee listening program, a company that has maybe a history of surveys or listening to employees, I have seen quarterly be the best option. It's fast enough that um, the data doesn't feel stale or you don't miss big potential events, but it also still gives leaders enough time to digest the information, think about it, talk to their teams and begin to create actions. You know, what I've seen um, when I've been establishing, let's say a program in an organization that maybe didn't have one previously or didn't have a consistent program, What I tend to do is, you know, there's, you have to balance the desire for this like constant stream of data, right? Executives are constantly getting sales numbers and, you know, turnover and all of this stuff. And so they want employee sentiment to be the same. And it just doesn't really work that way because it is human perception and it's a little bit different than tweaking sales numbers, um, you know, or something like that. And so sometimes what I've found helps to introduce concepts while not really well, not making your managers feel defeated, you know, if they're not seeing scores maybe trending upward where they would like, is to have a six-month cycle. So you're still doing a quarterly survey, Mm -hmm. um, but let's say quarter one and quarter three are the same questions so that you've got that trend line. 
and quarter two and quarter four are the same questions. So you get sort of, you know, double the bang for your buck. Now you're asking twice as many questions without forcing someone to sit on their phone or their computer for an extended amount of time. You're still providing leaders with the trends that they need to understand, you know, if the action they've taken is having an impact, but you're also allowing managers to build that muscle of getting data, interpreting it, understanding it, what does this mean for my team mm-hmm. and taking action, where if you ask too quickly, you know, the next round, a lot of times three months turnaround isn't enough. If you're not, you know, if, yeah, if you're not proficient at it. And in a big organization, perhaps where things take a long time, um, you know, it's, it can be sort of defeating. Like I'm, I'm doing my best, but I'm still getting maybe lower the scores on, you know, this particular metric than I hope. Um, and so you don't want to make people feel defeated before you've even gotten them out of the gate working with this type of data. So that's something else that I, I have implemented in several places that I found helpful. Couple more nerdy questions. What's best practice um, for how many questions to ask in a quarterly? Or maybe there's like a how long someone should be spending because you could do open ended, right? But and it would be more as opposed to yes or no or one through five or whatever it might be. Yeah, I would say there's no magic number. I typically I would say never more than ten minutes to complete. Ideally five. Um, people you are hear busy. that everybody? Do not make <laughs> your employees spend more than ten minutes maximum. All right, good. Thank you. I'm glad we I'm glad we got that. We got clear on that. <laughs> no more 50 to 100 question uh, surveys. Just yeah, don't do it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so what would you say, how many of these questions, let's say I'm asking them six months or quarterly, can, should I keep the same and how many should I change of these five questions or 10 questions? Yeah, that is, that is a, Big question and a tough one to answer. What I will say is there's no, again, it depends, right? That's a favorite of consultants. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I have seen be most helpful is you absolutely have to keep some questions and you have to keep some consistency for at least a year or two. And so that is likely your engagement index. Um, it may be an intent to stay question, like how much longer do you intend to stay at X company? Um, things like that, that you know, mm-hmm. you need that pulse regularly mm-hmm. um, because the worst thing that you can do is, you know, get folks on board and used to seeing this data and then kind of pull the rug out from under them and they don't get a metric that they expected. Um you know, so some of those really high level metrics like engagement, like intent to stay, career development, potentially things that we know are never going to not be part of an employee experience can be good questions to trend mm-hmm. um, and to keep consistent. The questions that you want to think about switching out, and I would say, you know, maybe switch your questions once a year ish because you do want to give people some consistency and something that they can rely on. Um, The questions that you want to switch out are things that are really relevant to what's going on in the business right now, you know, during COVID, right? 
we wanted to ask questions about, do you have the tools that you need to work effectively from home? Things like that. You know, you right. want to leave space right, right, always right. for those in the moment feedback items. Yeah, great. Great. Love it. Learning so much. All right. Zooming out. I'm going to ask you the big question, the big dumb question that I get asked and see, see how you respond because, well, <clears throat> how do you measure culture? <laughs> oh, gosh. You know, culture, I, the word culture is a tough one because yes. it can mean so many things to so, so many, many different people. Yeah. Um. So what I would say is, I don't measure culture. <laughs> I measure specific aspects of the, of culture, right? And that can uh -huh. be employee engagement. It can be motivation. It can be um, my workplace experience, you know, my team. If I measure culture in the way that makes sense for the business that I am consulting for, um, you know, there are some businesses that their employee value proposition is specifically geared around, say, diversity and inclusion. And so when I'm measuring culture, that's always going to be a part of it because that's that's our mission. That's our goal. Yeah. Um, so it, it really has to be tailored to what you're proposing as your employee value proposition, how you want to be viewed in the employer market mm -hmm. um, and the experiences that you want to curate for employees. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, there's, it, it is a struggle to be, I mean, it's like um, culture versus climate maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. So culture is kind of this output, but you can't like, what, how do you measure a vibe? And so you have to kind right. of go into the specific um, elements of it. Engagement is always a big question. You talked about a net promoter score, right? Would you recommend this company? I think that's a great one. Um, the other, and and give me your opinion on this. There are some tools out there that allow, I'm a big proponent of the tool of values and articulating values as a like expectation setting around behaviors. And um, there is a tool out there or there are probably multiple tools where it will pick up the conversations that people have and like hashtag whatever the value is. And you're like, thanks to, you know, Tara for doing this hashtag value to or whatever. Um, and then it starts to track it. And mm -hmm. I think there's something very interesting about that where you can see how often like, well, one is everybody actually doing this thing. That's one. And two is, um, you know, which values are getting picked up and who's doing what. And um, so that's, I think, I would say it's an emerging one, right? I don't, I don't mm -hmm. know that there's any like, this is how you do it, but that's one of my responses. Um, I don't know, maybe it's incomplete, but I just get your response to kind of that idea. Am I on the right track? Yeah, I do. I really like that thought, you know, because it does a couple of things. It builds a culture of recognition, which we know is extremely important when you're recognizing your peers and you know, not everyone likes to be recognized in the same way. So that offers another way for folks to be recognized for the work that they're doing. Um, and it also, I like that because it also helps, you know, we have a tendency, I think, as leaders to recognize the people maybe who are on promotion trajectory or who their goal is the next level. And, and that's very important, but the people who are steady and do a really good job and maybe don't have that aspiration to be an executive someday, but you know, they just, they're there, they're your steady folks who are doing a great job, you know, recognition like that, like you're talking about can 
be a really great way for those folks to continue to get recognized as well for just, you know, doing an amazing job where they're at. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I do like that. I think I've seen, I've worked in organizations where we've had peer recognition like that. Um, and it is unfortunately susceptible to gaming the system. You give me a shout out, I'll give you a shout out, right? So there's there yeah. are things to consider. You know, you want to make sure that anything like that is not tied to performance or you know anything where um, people may be tempted to game it. But yeah. I do think it's a great yeah it's a great first step and a good piece of the puzzle. What I learned a long time ago is that if it can be gamed, it will be gamed, <laughs> especially with engineers who are like looking for it, right? They want to yep. do that, right? Um, <laughs> I think that's a really interesting, you know, incredible, incredibly good point because it's, I think if you do it enough, like if you were able to have people um, build the muscle of this kind of, you know, in this specific case, a recognition and using these values. Well, look, even if we're like, hey, I'll trade you, you're like, you're still reinforcing that value. It's like, oh, okay, I remember that value. And over time, it's like, these are the ones that you're working on. And it's not the one and only thing, right? You're like, the more hashtags you get, the more whatever, right? You know, right. you know, that's just, it's just part of that calculus. And it's a conversation starter, in my opinion. So yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and it's important as well. I think I think with something like that, you know, I was at an organization where there was actually a value that was, um, folks were saying it was being weaponized. So it was being used incorrectly. Yep. And that, you know, like what you're talking about could be a really good gauge of that. Are people using our values in the way that we designed them? Um, you know, is it in a productive and constructive way? And it, so it could also be teaching moments um, to make sure that the values are clear and being utilized in the way that was initially intended. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think that's, that's, yeah, that's, I've, I have come across that more than once. And you're like, <laughs> hold up everybody. All right. Um, okay. Final, final round of questions here. Um, I have to kind of trim them down because I have so many. Um, it, uh, you mentioned before, if you're, if you don't have a regular, uh, employee listening program or one at all that you would start with six months, uh, kind of six months on and, you know, alternate those questions. What other advice would you have for, <clears throat> let's say a culture leader, HR leader that wants to start or revamp their employee listening program? What would you, you know, one of the first one or two things, what would you recommend? The programs that I've seen be most successful are the ones that put the onus for action in frontline manager hands. So I think where a lot of organizations go wrong with these types of programs is, you know, typically the folks designing the program, their stakeholders are the CHRO, it's the executive team. And so there's a lot of pressure to answer their questions. Um, and what that does is ultimately provides data to the frontline that's too general to be useful. And it leads to kind of inactivity you know, the, the frontline managers are really the place where change is going to happen. It is, of course, important to answer executive questions and to get them data that they're looking for for strategic purposes. But it's those small incremental changes that are happening at the frontline manager level that are really going to end up having the biggest impact on the employee experience in the long term. Yeah. So, I, you know, I would say that's one big thing is 
balancing that, not over indexing mm. on what HR wants, so um, because that's also a big one. Yeah. And not over just add this question in. Could right. you add yeah. one, you one more question? Management? Yes. <laughs> not over indexing on those, making sure that at least half of the questions that you're asking are something that a frontline manager can interpret and use to change the way that their team operates for mm. the better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest ones and action i you know i think we take, still take the really, action yeah i think yeah. we still really haven't gotten it right um in terms of you know we've done a whole lot of work on what are the right questions what's the right cadence there's been a lot of time and energy dedicated to that and the biggest gap i see is just enabling people to actually use the data you know it's it's easy to forget that the folks that you're handing this data to, A, for the most part, are not going to get the white glove service that the executives are because there just aren't enough hours in the day, typically, yep. for the team. Yep. And so it has to be interpretable and easy to use for someone who this isn't their day job. They may never have seen data like this before. So always keeping that user in mind such that they're going to be able to see this data and immediately know what to do is critical because the moment that there's no action happening is the moment that people stop responding that you get yes 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 or you know yeah. um, you stop getting good data yeah amazing that's incredible all right final final thing are there any places that you can point people resources um that you found really useful websites or you know, just, uh, I don't know, where, where, where do you go or where would you recommend someone go to kind of learn more about doing this well, employee listening? That's a great question. I, of course, my network. <laughs> um, I would say SIOP is a great resource. They pretty regularly have Spell publications. It it's S-I-O-P. It's the okay. Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. Okay. They host an annual conference that if you're a super nerd like me, is really fun. Lots of new research, yep. kind of the emerging stuff in the field. Um, I also, you know, SHRM, S-H-R-M, is yep. also yep. a helpful resource. Those are two of the biggest. I also just kind of, I'll search around and find people who make sense to me, you know, on their blogs or maybe books. I'm always looking for those folks who, you know, the research that they're putting out there, what they're saying resonates for me. Mm -hmm. And I look at their network and who are they following yeah. um, to kind of, you know, work my way to other great resources. Cool. All right. Great. Fantastic. Uh, Tara Belliard, Director of Employee Insights at Expedia. It has been a pleasure. I feel like we need to do a part two. Um, but I, uh, real, a real um, amazing stuff. I've learned a ton from our conversation and our, even our short time. So thanks so much for coming on great Mondays radio. Thanks, Josh. I had a lot of fun. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to great Mondays radio. Hey, if you want to be a guest, head over to radio.greatmondays.com. And if you think this episode was interesting and your friends and fans would enjoy it, please share on social media. And if you want to get more people to understand the power of company culture in business today, please rate and review Great Mondays Radio on your podcast feed. It really helps us reach more people. 
If you want to hear more candid conversations with culture leaders, subscribe to Great Mondays Radio. I'd love to connect with you. Find me on LinkedIn at aka Josh Levine, on YouTube at Great Mondays, and you can always email me, josh at greatmondays.com. Find out more about our work with hypergrowth technology and social enterprise organizations at greatmondays.com. I'm Josh Levine. Thanks for listening to Great Mondays Radio.